I think, uh, the great driver of all of these participatory changes is the choice by individuals to be active instead of passive. Uh, we fed ourselves on a notion that humans were office drones at work and couch potatoes at home, and it was just kind of shuttling back and forth from one to the other. And then when the opportunity to participate came about, even in, you know, even in relatively small ways, right, I, I, I'm going to be sharing photos of this thing, or I'm, you know, I wrote a poem, and I'm going to put it up on my blog, and maybe only three people read it, but it, that's more than none. Uh, that that almost all of that is personal drive, right? That's the big that's the big producer of the change, and the individual participants are the beneficiaries, right? The the the, the choice to be active benefits the person who makes that choice. Uh, the the beneficiaries downstream of that, as I you know as as we talked about earlier, uh, really depend on what kind of sharing is being done. So if I make a new lol cat, right, I find the cutest picture ever and I give it the funniest caption ever, it makes some people laugh, right? You can't really claim uh, a big social benefit there. Um, if at the other extreme, I'm at patients like me and I'm trying to change, uh, I'm trying to change medical research culture, I might get a disease uh, understood and a cure developed faster. And that benefits not only everyone who has the disease, that benefits society as a whole for having fewer resources go into, you know, go into the treatment of, of, of whatever disease it is. There, uh, there's a lot of work recently on ALS. And so once you get past an individual who chooses to be active getting benefit for themselves, you really have to look at what the participation is doing to see who benefits. Uh, but the range of benefits that are possible from, you know, harnessing this cognitive surplus is quite extraordinary. I, I'd say it's bad when it becomes addictive, right? And there's a big, there's a big discussion about uh, whether or not the word addiction is an appropriate, uh, is an appropriate word. It's a large, uh, large clinical conversation about internet addiction at al. Uh, but I will tell you that in the early 90s, I felt it. I used the word addict to describe myself in a completely, uh, in a completely unironic way. I was addicted to something called Usenet, which is the global uh, set of bulletin boards. And I had the addict's classic uh, pathology, which is that I needed to, to be on Usenet every day, not because it made me happy, but after a while, because if I didn't do it, it made me feel bad, right? Which is the, you know, and I, I remember, literally, I remember the morning uh, where I woke up and I did not need to check my email. And I thought, oh, you know, it was as if a fever had broken. Uh, the, the deeply wired pleasures of social interaction, coupled with the kind of mediated space we live in, uh, can, create, uh, can create these kinds of addictions in people, whether it's updating their, you know, updating their profile page on a social network or it's playing a game or what have you. And it can lead people to do many of the things that the pathology of addiction does, which is to cut themselves off from their friends, to neglect their social life, neglect their schoolwork, neglect their work, and so forth. And those are the kinds of things that society has always grappled with, right? It's, you know, it's the problem around uh, Gamblers Anonymous, right, where it's, it's not that you're injecting a chemical into your body. It's not like alcoholism or, or, or cocaine or what have you, but it is... It is an activity that's changing the, you know, that's, that's giving you the endorphin rush or giving you the chemical, uh, 
chemical consistency you like in your brain. And as with gambling, there are kinds of activities that can become addictive. Uh, my, my personal guess, although I am not a clinician, my personal guess is that Internet addiction and uh, even more than the Internet addiction, particular classes of addiction, social gaming addiction, social network addiction, and so forth, uh, are going to be understood better in the next five years. They'll turn out to be much rarer than the hand-wringing in the press would currently, uh, would currently have you believe, where everyone who uses Facebook is, a, is an addict or a putative addict. Uh, but there will be a non-trivial number of cases where people are genuinely addicted. And I think as a society, we'll then have to find ways uh, to convince those people or help them uh, out of that addiction in the same way we have done uh, with gambling, as gambling is spread outside of Vegas to include most of the country. I was going to do a video about internet addiction, but I spent all my time on Facebook instead of writing it. Anthony here for D News and the internet. Ugh, I have never had a more complicated love-hate relationship with anything. YouTube holes, Tumblr holes. I go to check my Facebook messages for a second and I come out two hours later. What makes the internet so addictive? Well, there's this theory that internet addiction comes from the same bit of our brains that loves gambling. Pull a slot machine's handle and you lose most of the time, but every once in a while, you hit a jackpot and our brains look for patterns and they register every tiny difference. It's a survival instinct. And when the unexpected thing we experience is some sort of win, we get this positive chemical feedback from our brain. And the internet is the same way. Most of the stuff scrolling by in your feed is terrible, but that makes every amazing corgi video that comes by so much more exciting. And over time, our brain starts to associate the internet as a whole with that tiny feeling of victory. It's like Pavlov's dogs. We begin to drool at the possibility of good internet. And that's why you can't help but look when you hear the IM bell or the new mail noise. And if you share a great video, that great corgi video, and people like it or they reblog it, you get addicted to the positive social reinforcement. We talked a bit about that in the video we did about fear of missing out. Another problem is that the internet doesn't really have any boundaries. I mean, multitasking is awesome, but when everything is happening at once, it becomes hard to draw a line at where to stop using your computer or looking at your phone. You're in the middle of checking Facebook and you get an email. You're finishing the email when you get a Twitter mention. Studies show that willpower can be exhausted, sort of like a muscle, and cognitive tasks can be extremely exhausting. So here you are, sitting in front of a screen that's giving you endless things to think about and emotionally react to, and your willpower just kind of wears out and you keep clicking around. If your internet addiction is particularly bad, hi, hello, my name is Anthony Carboni, uh, it's recommended that you make strict boundaries on your time. I use this Pomodoro timer that makes me work in 20 minute intervals and then gives me five minutes off to bum around the internet doing whatever I want. I don't follow it particularly, but I should. Internet addiction is so prevalent that it's actually mentioned in the newly released DSM-5, that manual for mental health professionals. It's not classified as a disorder yet, but it is recommended for further research. I say get on it, science, because it feels crazy real to me. How bad is your addiction? Be honest, this is a safe place, and not to make things worse if it's particularly bad, but I would love it if you subscribed here for more D-News. Okay, so back to those segments I posted on narcissism. So is social media making us more narcissistic? Or is social media just a great place for narcissists to gather? One study that was referenced shows that the number of narcissists has increased 
drastically in the United States since the 1970s. And that all comes out of the self-love movement. You can do anything you want, be anything you want to be. Everybody's right. And while on the surface, these may sound like wonderful ideals, are they really good for our society? For our society as a whole? So while we're using these tools for our own narcissistic pleasures, are we really being used? There's one quote that comes to mind. If you're not paying for the product, you are the product. So while we're out there showing off our latest selfie, our, you know, our newest dress, what we got for Christmas, what we ate last night, we're spending all this time on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Anchor. What we're doing is building time, data, information for these companies. And all of this is very valuable information either currently or in the future, making these companies a lot of money. So thus the question, why do we keep doing it? This is your brain. This is the internet. This is your brain on the internet. Any questions? The internet is a beautiful, rich, magical place full of all the information you could ever want. But there are things that happen to our brains when we spend time on the internet. Things that are changing the way we think on and offline. The human brain loves to find new information, and the brain even releases small amounts of dopamine when we learn something new. To put it simply, dopamine is a neurotransmitter found in your brain and nervous system. When released, you get feelings of pleasure. When we click on a link and find some cool new Wikipedia page or a funny picture of a red panda, our brain gives us a little dose of dopamine that makes us feel all warm and fuzzy inside. And then we want more and more and more. And that's when you spend a few hours surfing the web looking for any new information or novelty to get that next kick of dopamine. Mm. Which would be cool if we could retain all that information, but the internet is a hypermedium and it's made to distract us. In his book The Shallows, Nicholas Carr argues that attention is the key to creating memories. When we're distracted by notifications, tweets, status updates, and emails, we forget to move information from our short-term memory into our long-term memory where it can create rich connections and ideas. Of course, the internet is not a bad place, and much like drinking alcohol or eating sugar, it can be okay in moderation. Like every other temptation in life, it's important to develop self-control. So maybe turn off your notifications when you're trying to focus. And definitely don't use your phone before bed. Oh, and you should, um, excuse me for a minute. Actually, you know what? I'm not going to look at it. No, I'm definitely going to look at it. Oh. <sighs> Uh. Hey, thanks for watching. Leave a comment below and let us know what you would like to have us explain next. Also, like this video and subscribe, because every time we get a like or a subscriber, I get a kick of dopamine, and that feels good for me. So, do it.
Hi guys, Dr. Berg here. In this video, I want to talk about this very interesting thing called dopamine. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter, which is a hormone-like communication or message that travels through the nervous system versus hormones are communications that travel through the blood. And um, this neurotransmitter has the effect of giving you pleasure. Okay, so it's a pleasure neurotransmitter. It does other things that are involved with reward and even motion. So if you have a problem with dopamine deficiencies, you might have resting tremors and Parkinson's, which is a different thing. But it's mainly pleasure. It's a feel-good hormone. It also gives you that vitality. So if you could imagine, not that you ever took cocaine, but the sensation of taking cocaine, what you would feel like, this heightened pleasure, you know, ability to conquer everything, it's only because Cocaine and other drugs stimulate dopamine. So the actual physical feeling that you have is coming from dopamine, not really the drug. The drug is only the trigger that creates more dopamine in the body. So my thought is, why can't we just increase, make sure this is high naturally, right? So if you're deficient in dopamine, you lack motivation, you lack that drive, uh, you become fatigued, you kind of lose your goals, um, addictions, very addictive personality, mood issues, anxiety, depression, resting tremor, things like that. So you can see that this is a very uh, popular neurotransmitter that people are trying to increase by doing a lot of things, especially you know drugs. Um, the causes of a dopamine deficiency would be excessive caffeine can deplete it but if you it's interesting because caffeine will initially make you feel good but if you take too much over time it kind of decreases the dopamine uh, effect alcohol will decrease dopamine certain drugs cocaine all those type of drugs and even a lot of the psych drugs Prozac Paxil Wellbutrin all of those do increase dopamine so over time it depletes dopamine so it's a trick it's, it's you bring it up and it's bring it down. Same thing with like drugs. If you're addicted to drugs, um, you're going to deplete your dopamine reserves and it's, you're going to cause the necessity to take more and more and more drug over time. Um, insulin, sugar will deplete dopamine. Stress will deplete dopamine. Uh, cortisol from the adrenals will deplete dopamine. Low stomach acids, if you don't have enough uh, stomach acid, you can't digest protein in general. So you start developing a problem with making neurotransmitters in general. So you'll be deficient in a lot of different transmitters, neurotransmitters. So the point is, how do you know if you're deficient in stomach acid? Well, number one, do you have heartburn? Do you have acid reflux? Do you get indigestion? That would mean that you're probably deficient in stomach acid. As you age, you need more stomach acid. So just by adding more apple cider vinegar or betaine hydrochloride, you can increase your neurotransmitter uh, reserve. Okay, then we have adrenal stress. The adrenal gland, the inside of the adrenal gland, makes dopamine. So if your adrenals are burnt out or exhausted, you're not going to make the level of dopamine. So chronic stress, you know, all these things deplete your neurotransmitters. Not just dopamine deficiencies, but all the neurotransmitter deficiencies. So here's some things that you can do. Of course, don't consume as much caffeine or alcohol. Just get off the drugs, get off the sugar, cut the stress down, increase the acid, improve the adrenal. But also, here's nutrient-wise, you can take tyrosine. That's a natural amino acid that has a precursor to dopamine. You can take L-theanine, which is a precursor 
to dopamine. It can help build it up. Um, it's a natural amino acid. Vitamin D, getting a lot of sun will help recharge and build up dopamine reserves. Vitamin B6 and B5 are two other additional B vitamins that are necessary in making this neurotransmitter. Um, of course, in a lot of the other videos I talk about, you know, all these things will deplete these vitamins too. So uh, you may not need these if you stop taking these right here. Okay? Exercise will also increase dopamine. So as you can see, there are things that you can do about this. So I just want to bring your awareness up that um, there is a hormone behind this. And if you have any of these symptoms, you might want to do some of these actions. Okay? Thanks for watching. Take five. Do it. And where am I going with this? Press the subscribe button. Forgot the last part. And I'm going to see you next time. Am I going to? I will press the, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, you'll get future uh, updates. That's right, updates. I knew there was a word. Press the subscribe button, and I will keep you updated on the future events. Good morning, Working Like a Woman. I totally appreciated your post uh, January 2nd. I kind of said something very similar in my own cast this morning. And I appreciate uh, your spreading of knowledge. I was really enjoying your uh, what you were spreading yesterday about the, I believe it was the narcissist versus media or something like that. I was really enjoying about listening about um, that and exactly. Anyhow, um, totally appreciate what you post and looking forward to more. And I will definitely be listening. And uh, just have a great day ahead, okay? Bye. Hey, Jason. Thanks so much for listening, and I'm really glad you're enjoying the posts. I think as we're all mindlessly just, you know, browsing the Internet, looking at Facebook, looking at Twitter, listening to Anchor, you know, whatever it is we're doing, I think it's important to be aware of what it really is doing to our brains what it's doing to our thought processes, what it's doing to our emotional states, and why are we doing it to begin with? What really is the goal of what we're doing? And are we avoiding something else that we should be doing?